Well, I can finally say it. Merry Christmas, everyone. For, for people who have not uh, been at St. Benedict's Table over the season of Advent, uh, I, I need to tell you that we, we, we keep Christmas very much at bay and stay in Advent pretty intentionally all the way through. And people are forever teasing me about, they've already got their Advent tree up. <laughs> so one more time, Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry when I was a university student, a friend of mine took a summer job on a surveying crew in northwestern Ontario. Most weekends it landed in, in the student residence at Lakehead University in Thunder Bay. He invited me to drive down to visit him on one of those weekends. And on the Saturday morning, he took me to the Hoito restaurant. Anyone from Thunder Bay knows the, this place. It's a cooperative restaurant located in the basement of the Finnish Labour Temple. It's noted for hearty Finnish food offered at bargain prices. When I was there in 1981, it was not what you'd call a fancy place. Functional is probably a better word. But it was packed with students and all manner of people looking for a great breakfast deal on a Saturday morning. Over to one side, though, of the restaurant were a couple of tables filled with old men speaking Finnish and obviously in no hurry to finish their cups of coffee or to free up their tables in that very busy place. My friend made a point of telling me that those men at those tables were the reason that the hoito existed. Hoito is a Finnish word for care. And in 1918, it was in a gesture of care that the place was founded. See, a good number of Finnish men had come to Canada to find work in the logging camps that dotted northwestern Ontario. And most had spent their lives living pretty rough. Many never married. And aside from the days off that they spent in Thunder Bay, the bush remained their home. That restaurant was founded to ensure that those men had access to affordable food whenever they were in Thunder Bay, but also so that they would have a place where they belonged, a place they could call home. I was probably seeing the last generation of those men. Having lived that life for all those years, they'd now permanently retired to Thunder Bay to live on old age security and whatever savings they'd managed to accumulate. They'd spent their lives in those logging camps working to supply the raw material for building and for the pulp and paper industry, for the rest of us, in other words. And now in old age they'd had to settle in a world that had changed and had not a whole lot of space for them. But there was always the hoito. I was all of 20 at the time, but it made an incredible impression on me. Those old and tired faces, worn bodies, and the unfamiliar sound of their Finnish tongue. I could only barely imagine the lives that those men had lived. In that region, there were shepherds, 
living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Now we hear those very familiar words read on this night, and maybe we all conjure up a picture of a moonlit meadow dotted by white sheep and watched over by very noble-looking shepherds. Their robes are remarkably clean, their head coverings are draped stylishly over their shoulders, and in their hands they hold those crooked shepherd staffs. They look thoughtful, those shepherds, and ever so patient, or at least they do on Christmas cards. Now, particularly for those of us who have always lived in the city and have had really very little contact with livestock and farms, it's really easy to sentimentalize shepherds. Jesus speaks of the good shepherd. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. And he tells his story of the shepherd who goes out to seek that one lost sheep. And we imagine a pastoral scene with the most wonderful shepherd and his very woolly white sheep. We read the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. And the same kind of images spring to mind. Now, try this. In that region, there were Finnish loggers living rough in a bush camp, trying to keep warm against the cold of the winter night. Loggers who'd left home to take the only work they could and who had lived this hard life and would live it until their bodies could take it no more. Men who would live out on the edges of the society that their labors supplied, a society that would have little real place for them. If not for that restaurant in the basement of the Finnish labor temple, they wouldn't even have a place to get a good meal. That picture gets us closer to the reality of the shepherds that the gospel speaks of. It was a hard life, living rough in the hills, tending those sheep. And while your labors as a shepherd supplied the needs of the society, you weren't really a part of it. The wool, the milk, the meat, they were all wanted in the marketplace. And of course, lambs were required for Passover and for ritual temple sacrifice. But the shepherds who made all of that possible were themselves a bit suspect. Living out on the land like that, they'd seldom to be able to go to synagogue for prayers or to Jerusalem for the various ritual obligations. Satisfying even the simplest ritual, the one of needing to clean your hands before you ate, was no small thing. And in dealing with livestock, there's always a good deal of muck. In lambing season, there's blood. How to observe the requirements of the Torah under such conditions? And so, the pious and diligent religious people in places like Jerusalem and Bethlehem and Nazareth would give those shepherds a very wide berth. At the bottom of the socio-economic world of first century Palestine, writes David Loos, the shepherds have no right, no expectation, no hope in the world of being touched by the divine. Yet in Luke's telling, it is shepherds 
who are met by the angelic messenger. It is shepherds who are the first to receive this news. It is shepherds who are touched by the divine. It's the beginning of the reversal again. What's more, in the view of the biblical scholar G.B. Caird, what really captured Luke's fancy as he told this story was how the promise of God came true because of an enactment of the Roman government. Caesar Augustus had become the unwilling coadjutor of a salvation which would one day encompass his whole empire. Consider, too, the famous words that the angel speaks to those shepherds. Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This day, says the angel, a baby is born who is the Lord. And if this baby is Lord, Caesar is not. Were it all to happen in our time, maybe the angel would sit down at a breakfast table with worn and tired Finnish loggers and tell them about a baby's birth. Maybe the angel would arrive on some North End street where teenage prostitutes huddle against the cold and speak to them. Or maybe in a Syrian refugee camp in Lebanon this night. One thing is sure, the angel would not come with the news to Westminster Cathedral or to Joel Osteen's church in Houston. The angel would also not come and pull me aside in this church. The angel would not appear at the White House or 24 Sussex Drive or at Buckingham Palace. For it isn't to the palace that the Christ child comes, sings Bruce Coburn in his song, Cry the Tiny Baby. It isn't to the palace that the Christ child comes, but to shepherds and street people hookers and bums. This is a night to celebrate that great gospel reversal in which the expected is bypassed and the impossible is made possible. And so Bruce Coburn can sing as he closes that song like a stone on the surface of a still river driving the ripples on forever Redemption rips through the surface of time in the cry of a tiny baby. Have a blessed and peaceful Christmas season and listen always for the cry of the tiny baby, for it may not come where you expect. Amen.